Praise God. Praise God. As this is uh, what is often referred to as Palm Sunday, we, we are going today look at uh, Jesus' journey to the cross, which ultimately, ultimately leads to his crucifixion and, and resurrection, uh, for all glory and praises be unto him. And as we continue to move towards next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we want to look at Jesus' path. Uh, towards that appointed time in his life and to understand um, everything that happened uh, with Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. You know, you can read in Old Testament those things that were prophesying the coming of Jesus and the work that he had to do. So it's important for us Christians to understand um, how the pieces all fit together and that Jesus' path to the cross was indeed a part of God's wonderful design because he was determined to, to make the way so that mankind could, uh, could come to him and to have eternal life and to, to correct all of the things uh, that was done uh, via Adam. Amen that plunged us all into sin and the dominion of darkness and sickness and death. So today, looking at a little bit of, of Old Testament before we get into the New Testament, and uh, let's look at Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9. You know, as I said, everything written in Scripture is uh, all linked together. There is nothing in Scripture that does not fit. The Bible does not contradict itself, as some would have us or would try to have us believe. Um, uh, the Bible is not a collection of little fairy tales and little stories. Uh, the Bible is God's Word. God's word to man and he's, he's telling us and has told us exactly what his plan is and how it all worked out um, Jesus just didn't stumble upon the cross it just didn't happen uh, this was something that was all a part of God's wonderful wonderful plan and Zechariah we're just going to look at at just, uh, just one verse there are many that point to it but uh, I just want to show you how it's grounded in Old Testament. So Zechariah chapter number 9, and we're going to go to Zechariah chapter 9. It's on page 971, <laughs> if we all had the same Bible. Uh, Zechariah should be right before Malachi, which is the last book before the New Testament. Right before Malachi, which is the last book before the New Testament starts. Amen. Praise God. Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Okay? So here here we see back in Zechariah, which the book of Zechariah was written oh, approximately sometime in the 6th century. So that's about 600 years before Christ. 600 years before Christ, the prophet has said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king comes unto thee. He is just and has salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. All right? So you may recall, coming back now, that was prophesied way back then. You recall, coming into New Testament now, that um, after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, uh, and the, Holy, the, the sky opened up and it said that the, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus as a dove, and there was a voice from heaven from the Father saying, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased, etc. That from there, Jesus... 
Jesus went right into the desert and he was tempted by Satan. Remember all of that, okay? And, and Jesus swiftly uh, dispatched Satan, you know, just those three temptations. Jesus dealt with each one of them. And then after that was when Jesus' ministry started, okay? And, and for all of those, for those years in between, Jesus obviously was ministering. So Jesus had to get to the cross. But while he was taking that trek, that, that journey to the cross, he was preaching a word that was like, unlike anything that anyone had ever heard before. The religious establishment of that day was set on its ear by the, thing that Je- by the things that Jesus was saying. Jesus was point blank and told them in many, many, many occasions the things that you do are wrong. Uh, he called them hypocrites and so on. All right? And so we're going to look at a little bit of that because I want to build the path to the cross and show you uh, what was leading up to what we, what we will ta- be talking more about next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. But there was a path, you know. Many refer to this week as Holy Week because of the, of the steps that were taken during this time, which leads up to Maundy Thursday. Some celebrate Maundy Thursday. And then, there, of course, there's Holy Friday, uh, the Good Friday, rather. And then, of course, uh, Resurrection Sunday. Okay, so let's go to Matthew now. Go into New Testament. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Okay. And as I was saying there, you know, Jesus, when Jesus came, uh, when his ministry kicked off, he was uh, uh, preaching a message like none had heard before, particularly the religious establishment of that day. And he was upsetting the apple cart, you know. I mean, let, let's face it, they did not like what he, what he was saying, okay. But Jesus was coming to bring the words of the Father and to point out where they were going astray and where they were missing the mark. So looking at chapter 6 of Matthew and starting with verse number 1. One, chapter 6, verse number 1. Take heed that you do not your, alm, your alms before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father who is in heaven. Now, an alms is not only, giving alms is not only money, but it's, it's whatever good deeds that you're doing, whatever good things that you're doing. Saying, take heed that you do not do your good deeds, give money, etc., before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father who is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, Do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have a glory, that they may have glory from men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Okay, and we'll pause there. So in our modern day, what's that, what that is saying is that, um, you know, if you're giving, if you're giving to the unfortunate, if you're giving to the poor, when you're giving in church and so forth, or whatever good things that you are doing, you don't go around just bragging about it. In this case, they say standing on the street corner saying look at me this is what I did this is what I did this is what I'm doing because you're looking to receive the glory of men you want people to be saying oh he's so generous she does this for everybody he'd give you the shirt off his back and so forth okay Jesus is saying do not do as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets they, they, uh, that they may have glory from men verily I say unto you they shall have their reward but when you verse 3 but when you doest your alms when 
when you do your good deeds, give money, do good things, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father who sees in secret shall reward thee openly. Alright? So again, in our modern times, what that is saying is that if you do something nice for someone, if you do something great for someone, you don't have to go bragging about it. You know, you don't have to let your left hand or your, from your right hand, no, you don't have to go around telling everybody about it. God knows what you did, and that's what's important. Amen? Amen? God is the one that is looking at your heart and is looking at your motivation for your giving. Okay? If you are giving to someone simply because of the fact you want others around you to see you giving, you, you, you know, many times they'll pass around a card, you know, in the office or something like that to, you know, for you to sign and be a little envelope attached to you to put some money in and so forth. How many people, you know, pull out their whole bankroll and want you to see, want others to see how much they're peeling off to put in the envelope? You know, say, so oh boy, how generous she was. How, boy, look, you see what he gave, man. Everyone else gave $2 and boy, he pulled out a 20 and jumped in there and dropped in there. So, so that's the wrong motivation. You don't need to let anybody know when you're doing good things. The only one that will know uh, is God. And it says that God shall reward thee openly. Verse number 5 says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites. Again, hypocrites. Underline those words, hypocrites, where you see them too, by the way. Um, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and at the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Please underline that they may be seen by men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, but you, when you pray, enter into thy, into thy room or into thy prayer closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy father who is in secret, and thy father who sees in secret shall reward thee openly. So again, it's talking about here not being the one that's running around the place just praying the loudest, you know, or, or walking around with the biggest Bible or trying to show how great a Christian you are and all this stuff because uh, um, that's, the, that's to get the honor and the praises of men. All right? When we are praying, it says to enter into our prayer closet or go wherever your private space is. You know, I pray that everyone has a private space that they can go to, be it their bedroom. Um, <laughs> my bathroom is a nice private space that I go to where it's nice and quiet and won't be distracted. And I take my Bible in there. Sometimes I'll take my, um, my, my, uh, my headphones with, you know, my iPod and play some music while I'm praying. And that's where I will do my, my, uh, my prayer time with God because no one's going to bother me and it's quiet and so on like that and it's shut off and so forth, all right? And, and so that's where God, that's where you connect with God and that's where it says that God will reward you openly. But what Jesus is saying here at this time, don't forget now, these words are written in red, so that means that Jesus is doing the speaking. He's, he's speaking this, and those scribes and those Pharisees and all of these quote-unquote religious people are hearing what he's saying. They say, don't do like the hypocrites do. You know, don't be talking about all this stuff in the synagogue. Don't be talking about all this stuff on the street corners, because that's what they were doing. They were walking about trying to show men, look how great I am, look how much I give, look how much I do this, look how much I do that and Jesus is saying that's hypocritical alright he says to do it in secret you don't need to tell everybody because God knows what's on your heart God knows what you're doing and you shall receive your reward verse number 7 continues and said, but, says but when you pray uh, but when you pray use not vain repetitions as the pagans or the heathens do for they think that they shall be heard for they're much speaking 
Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. Amen. So please highlight all of that or put brackets around it. Uh, you know, so you'll be able to refer to it later on. And again, so what he's saying is don't do as the pagans do, giving all these words. You know, they, they had these prayers that were just repeating the same thing over and over again. You know, all this and that. Making all of this noise. Making all this noise. Again, for show. Again, for show. All right. It says that it be not like them with vain repetitions as the pagan, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Do they think that deaf, that that God is deaf? That you got to keep shouting the same thing over and over again? You know, God knows your heart. And the word goes on to say that, Be not you therefore like them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask Him. Amen? So when you enter into your prayer closet, into your private space where you're praying with God, you need to do all of these vain repetitions and shouting all out loud. You, you know, you pray in line with the Word of God. Amen? You enter in with praise and thanksgiving. Amen? That's sort of the order. With, with praise and thanksgiving, you, you, you lay out your supplications or the things that you're asking for. For. You know, you make sure that you're praising him first of all, you're giving him that praise, and then you sit down and you have this time, or you kneel down, or whatever, however Holy Spirit gives you in terms of what posture you should be taking. You know, there have been times that I've been in my little prayer closet there, as I call it, and I've actually kneeled down. You know, there have been times that I just felt moved in my spirit to actually just lay, just lay flat on the floor, with my face to the floor, just praising God, just praising God. You know, you know, so so you let Holy Spirit, let let Him guide you, let your spirit guide you in terms of how you're praising Him. But but you don't need to be making these vain repetitions or just memorizing a whole bunch of words to be saying, thinking that that's going to make God, God hear you. Amen. God knows what you have need of. You know, every single believer sitting in this room has something in their life that they're praying for God about. God knows. God knows what those issues are. Amen. But many times, God, God, many times, God wants us to come to him and acknowledge the fact that we need him. You see, so I mean, that, this is what kind of what prayer is all about. This is acknowledging the fact that, Lord, I cannot solve this situation, Lord. I need your help with this situation. I'm fearful of this. I'm anxious of this. Lord, I need, I need, I need. Amen. And God knows your condition, you see. But getting all of these, you know, jumping up and down and shouting and screaming and just repeating all these loud words, as was the custom back then for these people that Jesus taught talking about doesn't cut it that does not move God at all amen so then he goes on to say um, in verse number 9 after this manner therefore pray pray you our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name you see that that's the now this is not many people this has become known as the Lord's prayer you know but Jesus is not saying that saying that this is the only prayer that you should pray He's not saying that. What he is saying is that this is, this is a model, okay? This is a model. And um, when you're saying that after this manner, therefore I pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means holy. So you're saying, holy be thy name. So that means that when you're beginning to pray to God, you go, you enter into your prayer by praising him. By praising him, you know? And many people need to learn how to praise God. You see? And, and praising God, is that's one of the reasons that we have prayer and, uh, praise and worship service with music before we get into the sermon before we get into the business of, of the uh, of the church service so to speak amen because we need to enter into his into his uh, courts with praise and thanksgiving amen so praising God is, is understanding that he is a holy God hallowed be thy name blessed be thy name and then it says in verse number 10 thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven you know so you're acknowledging that he is the one that that is in charge God it is it is your let the same
same will that you have in, in, in heaven. Let that same will be done here on earth. Amen. Give us this day our daily bread. This is praying, praying about the things that you need. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is about forgiveness. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, help me to resist getting into whatever it is that may be tempting you. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is saying to pray after this manner or in this model. Not the way he was saying these other folks were praying with the vain repetitions and all these uh, babbling and long, loud, loud, long, loud words. Verse number 14 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites, uh, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when you fast, anoint thine head, wash your face, that thou mayest appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father who is in secret, and thy Father who sees in secret shall reward thee openly. What is the theme that's going through all of these? You know, it's being men pleasers. Being man pleasers, all right? You know, and he was talking about the fasting thing, and believe you me, I have seen this. You know, I have seen, you know, when the church was on a fast and so forth, that there would be some people that are indeed dragging around. You know, they come to church in the morning, they're kind of walking all slow. What's the matter? You okay? Oh, yeah. I'm on day 397 of my fast, <laughs> you know, and they're standing there just rocking and reeling, you know, looking like they're about to pass out just so they can let the whole world know that I'm fasting, you know. But Jesus is saying, saying, don't do that. If you're fasting, that's between you and God. You know, if the church decides to go on a fast and everyone's in agreement on one accord and the church is going on a fast, then you just fast and every time, every time you show up to church on Sunday, it's business is normal. I mean, you don't walk in with your face, your hair all disheveled and, you you know, foaming at the mouth that you're going through. You know, oh boy, oh boy, I can't wait till this is over. You, you, you know, you wash your face, you clean up, and you come to church just like any other, any other thing is going on. God knows what you're doing, and that's why you're fasting. You see, you don't fast to please men, all right? So the theme here that, that Jesus is saying through all of this so far is that you, you, you leaders, you religious folks, quote, of this time, you need to stop being doing the man-pleasing thing. You know, this is about God, you see? This was a whole new message. A whole new message to them. Because all that they believed in doing was look at me. Everything that I did was look at me. Look how great I am. Look at me. Amen. Um, he goes on to say, uh, in verse number 18 again, that thou, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father who is in secret, and thy father who sees in secret shall reward you openly. Lay not up for yourselves, verse 19, lay not up for yourselves treasures, okay, upon earth where moth and rust does corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Okay? So in other words, if all you think about is money, all you think about is money and, and, and accumulating things on this earth. You know, you know well, the, the guy next door has, has three cars, so I've got to get three cars. The guy next door has a boat, I've I got to get a boat. You know, and you get seasick every time you even see a boat, but because he's got one, you've got to have a boat. You know, and just trying to be like the Joneses, you know, trying to accumulate things, you know. Because guess what? You can't take any of that stuff with you. You know, you know when the time comes and the Lord calls you home, you're not going to take any of that stuff with you. You see, you see me? So, so God, so he said, 
saying here, don't, don't make those things so important, you know, because those things that you're making important, they can go away. They can go away. Amen? Amen? He, he, he says there, he says there, uh, where they break through and steal, people can steal. For where your heart is, that, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So what's that saying there is that if all that is important to you is money and things and accumulating of things, that's where your heart really is. Okay, I mean, that's, that's where your head is at. That's where your heart is at. That's where your faith is at, so to speak. This is where everything that you really, really believe in, that's where it's at. It's in those material things, okay? All right? Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's where your heart is, okay? So you see someone that, that all they do is focus on collecting things, collecting things, and you ask them about God, about going to church, and they don't have two minutes to give you or to say to you about going to church or anything about God. Their heart is really with material things. Really, really with those things uh, that are material. Um, he goes on to say, um, Where your treasures, there your heart be also. Verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye is healthy, your whole body shall be made full of light. But if your eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. You can't serve God and, and money, okay? Now, we all know that obviously we, we don't live in a farming society anymore, that, that our um, money, money is what we obviously have to buy goods and services and things like that. But it's the love of that money, you know, that is the root of evil, as Scripture says. You know, if that's, where, if that's all you do is think about money and the accumulation of monies, then, then, then that's, where that's where your heart really is, and that's who you are really winding up serving. Amen? If, if the almighty dollar is all that's important to you, then you're serving the almighty dollar. You can't serve both. Okay? You've got to love either God or either love the things of this world. Amen? So you can't serve two masters. 25 says, Therefore I say unto you, Be not anxious for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet um, for your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than food and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor, nor gather into bonds. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why are you anxious for raiment or clothing? Consider, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, they don't work, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like any one of these, like none any of these. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So in other words, that's just basically saying in a nutshell, why do you worry about, about things uh, in this life that are so, so basic? Your food roof over your head, your clothing, etc. God knows that what your needs are. And if God cares for every single um, animal, insect, bird, uh, fish, or whatever on this planet Earth, that God will certainly care for you because you are more important to God than any of those animals or fish or trees or flowers or anything else. You see, so we shouldn't be worrying about the things, quote-unquote, of this life. Therefore, be not anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we be clothed? For after all of these things do 
the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Be therefore not anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is its own evil, or as the Greek says, is its own trouble. Okay, so all of this is just saying, I'm giving you a little bit to see that in Jesus' journey to the cross, what he's doing here, as, as his ministry, he is giving them the words that God the Father has given him. And he's showing these people that what they think is important in their life is so wrong. They're totally missing the mark. They told, he's telling them that they're being hypocritical because they're, they're winding up doing things just for the, for the sake of men. They're doing things to please men. They're doing things for the glory of men. They're not doing things in, in truly, truly in the honor of God. You see, so this is the message. Now, Jesus is saying all of these things, knowing that it's not going to be well received. God knows that he's got to get Jesus to the cross. Okay? He also knows that he has to give men, um, he has to give mankind the truth because Jesus is also hoping to change their ways. But in the meantime, what he is doing here, he is certainly angering the crowd. He is angering, angering the, the, uh, the Jewish population there because Jesus is saying things that's quote-unquote, that's sacrilegious, that's blasphemous because they've never heard anyone speak like this before. Alright, so there, now we go to Matthew 21. Matthew 21, and we're going to look at where what we read in Zechariah. Okay, remember, remember in Zechariah where Jesus, where it talked about that your king shall come on a foal, you know, the foal of an ass, and so on, like that. Okay, so now in in, in 21, we're going to see that prophecy fulfilled. 21, verse number one. And when they drew near, when they drew near unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village opposite you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say anything unto you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and straightway he will send them. All, all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. This is referring to Zechariah. That it may be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting down on a, uh, upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes and they sent them, uh, and they sent him thereon, set him thereon. So just to pause there for a moment, again you see now here in New Testament they're making uh, direct reference to Old Testament where the prophet Zechariah said those words, alright? So this is where Jesus, as you can see, as you can see here, is actually fulfilling prophecy. He's fulfilling what God already laid out in the Old Testament. This is a plan. God is, God is so wonderful and so excellent at his plans. He's the master planner. God knows exactly what he's doing and he is fulfilling things that were prophesied hundreds of years ago. Verse number 8 says, And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna uh, to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. 
I'm sorry, that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, of, of, uh, of Galilee. Now you see here where it says, um, And the multitudes went before him, this very same crowd, that's saying Hosanna to him, blessed be the name of the Lord, etc. This is the very same crowd that about a week later on would be calling for his crucifixion. Amen? The very same crowd. So they're cheering him on now, and, he, and this is in fulfillment of what Zechariah the prophet said, but they, they, uh, they'll be cursing and calling for his death later on. Um, on the line in verse number 8 where it says, Others cut down branches. Okay? And go to John 12. We want to see where Palm Sunday came from. John 12. And we want to go to, to verse number 9. This is Jesus' journey. Jesus' journey to the cross. Amen. John 12, verse number 9. Many people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake, but only that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. See, if you go back to the previous verses there in John, you'll see this is where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, so the, the word got around, and again, they're coming all for the wrong reasons. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> from the dead. Verse number 10. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death because by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus okay so again now looking at this journey and looking at what was going on there and, and Jesus going to the cross the things that Jesus was saying in the ministry the miracles that Jesus was doing Jesus was winning people to him all right, the religious establishment, the scribes, the Pharisees, and whatnot, they did not like that. They did not like the fact that their religious order that they had established all of these centuries, now all of a sudden was crumbling before their very eyes. You see, they were not thinking at all that this man, Jesus, might be the Son of God and that maybe he's speaking truth. All they were thinking about is, gee whiz, Jesus, this guy, Jesus, upsetting our apple cart. Our apple cart. Because don't forget, these guys had riches. I mean, they were, you know, they were the peak of the communities. Everyone held them in such high esteem. They were adored because of the fact that they prayed the loudest. They dressed the best. They had the best seats at the synagogue. Everyone looked up to them. So now Jesus is pulling all of that down. It says, and they believed on Jesus. Verse number 12, 12 says, on the next day, many people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees, underline, took branches of palm trees, and went forth to meet him, and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. Now, these are the same events as seen through, as written by John that we just read about in the book of Matthew, except here he's just a little more exacting. And before where it said, said cut down branches, he actually says branches of palm trees. And this is where it became known as Palm Sunday, because this was that week or so before Resurrection Sunday, before the crucifixion that he came uh, riding triumphantly into Jerusalem. You see, um, palm has no magic 
private properties. Uh, um, it, it is a tradition that men have established over the many years. Um, uh, I'm not knocking down any churches that still, you know, celebrate Palm Sunday and want to have palms and give to the congregations. Uh, we were back east. We saw that quite a lot. You know, people would fashion little crosses out of them, put them on their lapels, and some folks would hang them over their beds for safety, which is taking it to the extreme. But I'm just saying that uh, um, palm is palm is palm is simply another tree and nothing holy about it. Amen. So it says, goes on to say there in verse number 14, and Jesus, when he had found a young, a young ass, sat upon it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king uh, cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples of, um, at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, they then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done those, these things unto him. The people, therefore, that were with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this cause the people also met him, for they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the word is gone after him. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the, of the, uh, at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, who was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and tell Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come when the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Peter... See, I'm sorry, I'm sorry saying to you, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I into this hour. You see, so Jesus is saying there that whoever follows him shall, shall spiritually follow suit. Amen. Amen. But uh, uh, the Pharisees at this particular point were getting extremely upset. They did not like what, they, what Jesus was saying and how so many people were indeed uh, following after him. Um, I want to jump down to... Uh, Go down to 35. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, unless darkness come upon you. For he that walks in darkness knows not where he goes. If you're walking in darkness, there's no way that you can know where you are going. While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be the sons of light. These things spoke Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. But, but though... But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. See, in spite of the miracles, they still did not believe on Jesus. That the saying of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted. And I should 
could heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spoke of him. You see, so in other words, all that Jesus was saying, these people were still too blind to see what was going on. They were still too blind to understand that he was indeed Jesus, the Son of God. They just refused to believe. Their heart was hardened. Okay? And all of this, again, this was all prophesied that this was going to happen. Okay? So Jesus did not just wind up at the cross by any, any accident. God um, guided him there. And all of these events were prophesied to happen. Um, nevertheless, verse 42, among the chief rulers and many believed on him. All right? Chief rulers and many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. You see, so here again, they're so afraid of men. You know, now here in our 21st century lives, what does that mean to us? You know, how how bold are we to stand up for who we are as Christians? You know, do we are we kind of closet Christians? Do we hide in the closet with our Christianity? You know, not confessing Christ because we are afraid that people in the workplace, people in the neighborhood, people in school would be would would, would want to shun us if they found out that we were Christians, that we were followers of Christ. Amen. Even though they believed on Him, they would not confess it because they would be they'd be afraid. be put out of the synagogue. You see, that, that's ridiculous. For they love the praise of men, verse 43, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. You know? Now that's something that we should all ask and reflect ourselves sometime. You know? Do we look for the praise of men so much that we don't think about, about concern, any concerns about God praising, you know, or about praising God so that God would be uh, smiling upon us? Jesus cried out and said, He that believes on me believes not on me but on him that sent me. You see? He that believes on me, uh, believes not on me, but on him that sent me. And you ever stop to think about that? You know? If you're not believing on Jesus Christ, that you're not believing on God the Father. Right? Jesus and God are one. He said that many times. I and the Father are one. You see me, you see the Father. You see? So how can you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but then not believe, not believe on God? You see, you see, you know, I mean, that, that's so clear to me. He that believes on me, believes not on me, but on him that sent me. So that's really you believing on God the Father. And he that sees me, sees him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believes on me should not abide in darkness. All right? So if you're not believing in, in, in Jesus, then you're abiding in darkness. And this is, as um, came up some last week in, in the uh, baptism there, we talked a little bit about it, but... And, and certainly in the sermon before that, where it talked about Satan being the god of this world, God with a little g. Um, if you're not believing on Jesus, you're walking in darkness and you simply can't see the truth. You can't understand the truth, you know. It just, it just goes over your head. It, it, you're in darkness. This is why when we talk to some people about scriptures, you know, and they just don't get where we're coming from, they look at us like we've got our heads on backwards or something, they just can't get it because they don't understand. They don't know what you know. They don't know. So therefore, they are walking in darkness. Their eyes have not been uh, illuminated. They have not been enlightened, you know. And I don't know if you had a subject in school that you were wrestling with, you, you know, I, I loved science, but math wasn't my greatest subject and everything. <laughs> you know, then you get into trigonometry and some of the higher math and so forth. But uh, um, and it, even that didn't make sense because science without math is that's kind of ridiculous. But anyway, um, 
you'd be looking at a problem in school, you know, and you'd be studying over that thing hard and long, and then one day the light bulb just kind of gets off, clicks in your head, and you understand, oh, yeah, now I understand that algebraic formula, why this side has to equal that side, and it should balance out, and it kind of clicks in your head, you know, but until that, you were in darkness. But then for one day, you know, a light bulb went off, and you were illuminated. You were in light, so to speak. Well, that's what is being referred to as here. People that do not know the Lord are walking in darkness, you know, and that darkness is oh so dark because they do not have any hope. They have no connection with the Heavenly Father. They have no hope in anything. Things that are going on in their lives just weigh them down as terrible burdens because they don't know God. They don't know, they don't know that I don't have to carry this burden. You know, that I can go into a prayer closet, my prayer closet, that I can pray, that I can praise God, that I can do this, I can, I can call on Jesus. They don't know that. So they're living in darkness because they do not see that there's a way out. Why? Because they're in darkness, you see. We, living in light, know that there's always a way out. For every tribulation, every problem that comes our way, we know that there's a way out because our eyes have been enlightened. We've been enlightened. We're not walking in darkness. We're walking in the light of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? I I am come a light into the world, but whosoever believes on me should not abide, that whosoever believes should not abide in darkness. And if any man, verse 47, if any man hear my voice, hear my words and believe not I judge him not for I came not to judge the world but to save the world he that rejects me and receives not my words has has one that judge him the word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day all right the same shall judge him in the last day for I have not spoken of myself but the father he says this repeatedly I am not speaking of myself this is not my words but the father who sent me he gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. All right? So all that Jesus was doing, he was saying that the Heavenly Father was telling him. Now, the, the Jews, the religious leaders of that time, the Pharisees and everything, that alone was um, a blasphemy because he was saying that I am from the Father. I am from God the Father. Okay, now, the Jews acknowledged God. The Pharisees acknowledged that God existed, but they refused to exist. How dare this man, this carpenter's son, some, in one of the scriptures says, isn't that the carpenter's boy? Isn't he the carpenter? Isn't he from that little town? You know, who is he to be claimed that he's the son of God? You know, and that I am God. All right? So they were incensed. They were, they, were, they, were, they were fuming at the fact that Jesus was saying that who he was saying, and that I am merely carrying out the, the commandments of my Father, and that the words that I am speaking am from God the Father. All right? So we see, they see it now that they were very, very upset, and now you can see why all this was building, where that eventually they would, they would actually arrest him. You know, and we're going to close out with the scriptures. Let's go to Matthew 26. Okay, Matthew 26. You can see that on this journey here, you can see, and I'm, I'm really just, what I did was I just dropped in here and took very 
specific points of Jesus' ministry just to kind of illustrate the the journey, the path that it took getting to the cross. Of course, if you read through Matthew and, and, and John and so on and Luke and read through the various things that were happening each step of the way, you could see the anger building. You could see that as Jesus was on his ministry and was speaking the truth and was speaking these, grand, these brand new words, you know, and going against the existing religious philosophy and, and, and beliefs, um, how they were getting angrier and angrier, okay? Not because of the fact that, uh, um, that, that he was, the, they certainly didn't believe he was the son of God, but he was upsetting their apple cart. He was upsetting their world. He was saying things that were so counter to what they did and believed in and for all of these years benefited by, you know, I mean, they had riches, they were held high in esteem, people respected them and all, everything, and now Jesus is calling them hypocrites. At one point, Jesus called them a, a, a den of vipers, you know, and, and you see what he did with the money changes, you know, he turned over the tables in the temple, and you said, I use my, temp, my, my father's house, you know, and all of this, uh, and, and so he was, he, Jesus was really, really upsetting them. They were, their world was getting turned upside down. So we see here in Matthew 26, verse number 36, Okay, uh, then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons, Zebedee, uh, sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very depressed. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O Father, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. You know, and to me those are such, such powerful words because it showed there that Jesus, or what if Jesus had chosen not to take that path, not to go through with the crucifixion? Amen. Now we know obviously he was, he was the son of God, he was God, and that he was going to be obedient to the Father. But what if Jesus had not gone to the cross? Where would we be? You see? But again, Jesus being obedient said, however, not as I will, but as thou will. Okay? And that in modern day times for us, how does that apply, apply to us? So many times when we're praying to God about something, when there's, when there's an issue in our lives, we will pray to God and ask for help or ask for advice. But then deep down inside, though, we're saying, but however, I want to do this my way. You know? So how many times do we pray and do we, are we open to saying, okay, Lord, this is what I'm praying about, but Lord, let it be according to your will, not my will. Amen? This is what I'd like, but your will, Father, is the will that's important. You see? And that's what Jesus did here. He says, however, not, if there's any other way, Father, let this assignment. I have to go to the cross. All, right. All of this time for eternity, Jesus, according to, to John 1, 1 John 1, um, uh, I'm sorry, John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, um, he was always with the Father. He had never known separation. Jesus knew what, he, what was about to come for him and said, if there was any other way but, Heavenly Father, not according to my will, your will be done. Amen? And we have to make sure that we are in the same frame of reference when we're praying for things in our lives. Verse number 40 says, And he cometh, uh, and he cometh unto the disciples and finding them asleep. He saith unto Peter, what could, what could you not watch with me one hour? 
Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation, and the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Again, he's being obedient to the Father. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to the disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth, doth betray me. Okay? He is at hand that does betray me. Uh, betray me. And you know from here, Jesus uh, uh, was arrested by the crowd. You know, Judas went up, found him, kissed him, and then the crowd came and arrested him, and he was taken off the trial. Amen? And then that goes into leading into the trial and looking at Resurrection Sunday. Sunday. We'll pick up next week at Resurrection Sunday. But being arrested like that, you know, as a thief in the night, first of all, was against Jewish law also. And holding a trial at night was even against Jewish law. They were not allowed to do that. And there was no formal trial that was ever set up set up for him. So everything that they were doing was was, was out of, uh, was illegal, so to speak. But they had their way. They knew, they knew that they had to get rid of this guy called Jesus, um, that he was just setting the world on fire. And they wanted to get rid of him any way they could. And crucifixion was their most expedient way to do that. Amen? So, so pray on these things and think on these things as we go through this week until we gather here again next week for Resurrection Sunday. Come on out and let's be blessed as we go through those events and look at that most glorious day on the uh, Christian calendar. Amen? Amen? So I pray that these messages, these words, uh, this message has been a blessing to you. And now before we close, let's prepare to honor God with our tithes and offerings.